Uh, we're going to start a brand new sermon series today. It's the middle of the summer. How many of y'all excited it's the middle of the summer? I'm getting, how many of y'all are starting to get anxious that fall is coming already? I'm not. I hate the summer because nobody comes to church, and so I'm ready for fall. Like, I have a love-hate. I, I love summer until about uh, uh, June, and then I start to hate it until September. And so, But we're having a good time, and we're starting a new sermon series today called Sorry, uh, Not Sorry, and we're going to deal with forgiveness. Uh, next week, I want to talk to you about not being a victim uh, and the week after that, we're going to talk about dealing with shame and guilt. Guilt is you've done something wrong. Some of you, though, you live in shame, which is you are something wrong. And we're going to work through uh, kind of this. This I think the, the road between uh, uh, bitterness and peace, the life you're living right now and the life that God has you, which is peace, the Bible says a peace that surpasses all understanding, is, is forgiveness. And here's the problem with, with forgiveness for many of us. Our, our forgiveness oftentimes is built on, on the necessity to have somebody else's sorry in our lives. Like, we're, we're consistently looking for somebody else to say sorry, and we think if they would just say sorry, that our pain would go away. And, and the problem is, oftentimes, the sorry never comes. I have a 97-year-old grandma who still is bitter at life and can tell you people she's angry with, and the problem is, most of the people she's angry with are, are dead. So her sorry is not going to come. And here's the thing, in this world, we don't really do sorry that well. My, my wife, about 14 years ago, we were newly married. We bought a house in Oklahoma. Our house had white carpets in it. it it's an awful idea if you have kids that have white carpets. And so we had white cream carpets in our, in our house. We, had, we put this big, I don't know why we do it, we put this big candle in our, in our living room that had four wicks. It was a red candle on this candle stand. It was about yay high. And one day, she lit it and didn't watch it, right? Because women never watch candles. And so, like, you know how many times I left my house and a, and a candle's been on? Anybody else have a wife like that, you're like, did you blow the candle out? You're like, no, our whole house is going to burn up by the time that we get back. And so, so she left it burn and burn and burn. And I came home. And, and when I got home, she had left it burn for so long that it hit the wax head going over the side and all over our, our white carpet. Uh, and and I, I noticed there was a pair of scissors sitting beside it as if she had made an effort to get it out of the carpet. But, but that was it. Like it was still sitting there completely dried. And so I spent hours trying to get this wax out of our carpet. It was a brand new house and I loved it. And, and it was my first house and we had this red thing. And meanwhile, she was in our back guest bedroom watching TV. I walked back. I'm kind of mad at her at this point. Uh, we're having a fight and I'm like, why did you do this? Why did you burn this right here? Why didn't you watch it? You know, why didn't you try to get it out? And finally she looks at me and, and she didn't say sorry, not sorry, because that wasn't invented yet. She said, she said what's done is done like it's like get over it and I something welled up inside of me this righteous anger I'm like no that's not right if you would say sorry to me it would make me feel better but the truth is her sorry wasn't taking the the, the, the red wax out of the carpet like nothing was taking the red wax out of the carpet except for a miracle from from God and a piece of furniture we covered it up with until we sold the house and so anyway like we struggle with that. And so I want to talk to you about moving through forgiveness because forgiveness is not built on somebody else's sorry. It's just not. It, oftentimes, their sorry will never, will never come. And if you're waiting for somebody to say sorry and your excuse is, I would move past it if only they would make things right with me, you're going to be stuck in, in bitterness and, and resentment and, 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 and anger and hopelessness. And you're going to give yourself an excuse when you can't change. You're going to blame somebody else. We're going to talk about that next week. You're going you're to look at what other people have done to you and say, well, I'm this way because they were that way, this way to me. And the truth is, even if they said they're sorry, 
you're still going to struggle with the, with the effects of what they've done to you. So there has to be another answer. And here's the thing for so many of us. We think it's valuable to hold on to it, right? Like we think literally we're doing ourselves a favor by holding on to bitterness and anger. M- my kids took out my baseball cards this week. You guys remember baseball cards? Does anybody collect baseball cards anymore? Uh, I know kids collect Pokemon cards. I don't know what the heck that is. But, but nobody collects baseball cards anymore. But if, you, if you're a, a guy or a girl, we're, 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 it's fine. I don't want to get an email from anybody. And you remember baseball cards, put your hand up real high. Just let, let's look. These are all the old people in the room. Like you... And we bought into this lie in the 1980s. That's when I was, I was a kid, right? We bought into this lie that baseball cards were going to be valuable someday. And so for me, I spent the best years of my childhood collecting baseball cards. Anybody else? Like I, I had almost 20,000 baseball cards at one point. I, I, for Christmas, I asked for the full set of tops or Donruss or Upper Deck baseball cards. And then I would go through the ones and I would find the Ken Griffey's and the Barry Larkins and the, and, and, and the Ozzie Smith's and, the, and, and those players that I love and Daryl Strawberry prior to his drug and alcohol abuse and Doc Gooden because Daryl Strawberry was my favorite player. I collected like 60 Daryl Strawberry cards. I would put them in those little cases. If somebody touched them outside of those cases, I would flip out on them. You guys remember? I'm like, do not bend the corners. Why? Because this was my retirement plan. <laughs> you remember? Like, this was my retirement. Like, I was going to, because for years, baseball cards were valuable. There was Babe Ruth, and there was Hannes Wagner, and people kept these cards for 30, 40, 100 years, and there were thousands of dollars. And I'm like, if I just keep my Daryl Strawberry, my Doc Gooden, my Lenny Dykstra, my Barry Larkin, I keep these cards fresh. Man, I, I, my kids will go to college. I'll buy a mansion on a hill somewhere. I'll have a boat, and I'll have a car. And the truth is, I, I should have sold them in the 90s. But I just kept holding on to them and kept holding on to them. And yesterday I came into my kids' rooms and they have my, one of my big boxes with thousands of baseball cards. And they're just throwing them around like this and just bending them. And, and the truth is, they're not worth anything anymore. It, to me, it, it, when I was a kid, the value wasn't holding on to them. But the truth is, the value wasn't letting go of them. The value wasn't turning them in. And so for many of you, you think the value of, of your, your, your bitterness and your, your, your past is holding on and, and being mad and getting angry and disproving them. And the truth is it's just hurting you. It's just keeping you from who you're supposed to be. The Bible talks about bitterness. We're going to talk about it in a second. So I, I want to take you through this, this series on, on forgiveness. And I want to take you through to a few passages today. The first one is in Matthew chapter 10. And I want to show you how Jesus kind of t- talks to his disciples because he's, it's, not, it's not a new problem. You're, you're not different. Some of you are going, no, you don't know how much pain I've been through. Listen, if you live on this, this world, you're going you're gonna to walk with pain. Are, are you with me? Like, we don't, we don't compare and go, well, my life is more painful than your life. No, no, no. If you live on this earth, you're, you're going you're gonna to walk with a limp. You're, you're going to go th- through pain. So the answer is not to glorify your, your pain and make a big deal about your pain. The answer is to find an answer for your pain. And, and I want to lead you kind of down that road. But this is what Jesus says to his disciples, because they were going to be the same way. He's saying, look, I'm about to send you on a mission. And before I send you on the mission without me, I want to send you on a pre-mission, like a scrimmage mission, like, like training camp mission. So in Matthew 10, he sends them out kind of to get them ready and prepared for what they're going to face when he leaves, because their life is going to be awful. Like, j- just to be honest with you, it, it should not surprise you when you're following Jesus and life gets hard, because that is the message of the Bible. The Bible is, is full of people who, who, who went through trials and persecutions. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, consider it joy when, when, when you go through that, because it's developing perseverance, and perseverance is making you a mature follower of Christ. Anybody can follow Christ when life is going good. Are you with me? But, but the people who follow Christ through hell and still come out, out, those are the people that mature in their faith and know that God is never going to leave them 
nor forsake them. So he says, I want to get you ready. Sends them out on a mission. And then he gives, this, this, he gives them this advice. And we used this verse a few years ago in a similar series called Shake the Dust. But he gives them this advice. And man, it, it's, it's profoundly impactful if you allow it to be in your life. In Matthew chapter 10, verse number 13, he said, he's given them some advice about interacting with people. He's, you're going to stay with people. Don't take supplies. You know, find people to stay with, he says. Travel lightly, in essence, is what he's saying. And then he says, when you get to the home, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. What he's saying is, as you're going from town to town, if you have a good experience there, let your peace be there. But if you don't have a good experience there, don't let them steal your peace. Like, like don't, don't start to believe the lie that your life would be more peaceful had you not gone through blank. Because here's the thing, peace is not the absence of conflict in your life. Peace is the ability to build your life on a rock that has never wavered, the rock of Jesus Christ. And so he says, don't, don't allow somebody to have the power to take your peace. Many of you in this place, somebody has stolen your peace. You go around and you blame somebody uh, for your peace. You have a parent that's stolen your peace. You, you, you have, but the truth is, you've allowed them to steal your peace. You don't get to pick who your parents are. I know you wish you could. You, you don't get to pick who your siblings are. You don't get to pick what's happened to you in your life. There's many wounds in your life that you did not choose for your life. But here's the thing. You do get to pick how you look at it. You, you get to pick how you allow it to, to affect you. So he's saying, look, you don't get to pick their, their response to you, but you do get to pick their respons- your response to them. So he keeps going. And he says this, uh, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and then shake the dust off your feet. Just so you understand, at that time, wherever you went, there was dust, there was, there was dirt, uh, they didn't have blacktop, and so wherever you went, you, you would get stuff on you. Jesus is using this to illustrate a point. Listen, when you leave, don't carry with you the pain and the persecution and the anger from the experience you had. Shake it off and, and keep walking. And my message to you is going to be, I can't teach you, to, to, I can't take from you things that have happened in your life, but I can teach you over the next four weeks to, to shake off the dust of the death of people's decisions, to shake off the dust of the death of people's persecution, the death of their harsh words, the death of, your, uh, uh, of mistakes that they brought, the shame that they brought. You can shake the dust off. And you can keep going. And so here's the thing. The road between peace and, and where you're at right now, which is bitterness, is, is, is forgiveness. It's paved by forgiveness. But the thing about forgiveness is I cannot, I cannot show you the power of forgiveness. I have to introduce you to the person of forgiveness. I, I can't, like, forgiveness is not a three-step thing. I can't tell you, hey, it's not that big of a deal, because it is. I can't tell you get over it, because you can't. I can't tell you it never happened. Just pretend it never happened. Because it did. So I can't take you down a steps. Here's the three steps you got to do to forgive the person that's hurt you. I I can, though, take you to the person of forgiveness. And here's the other thing about it is I can't explain it. You have to experience it. I I can't explain forgiveness to you and you leave and be transformed. Forgiveness is experience and it's only experienced through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of why he came to this earth, to forgive our sins and give us the ability to forgive those that have sinned against us. I love watermelon. Like I, I, one, of, one of the best things about summer is water. How many of y'all love a good water? Like watermelon is, like it, you, should, it, you should have it with every meal. I, I'm alkaline, change your body, like all this stuff. I just like it. I love a good watermelon. A few years ago, somebody introduced me uh, to putting sea salt on your watermelon. It changed my life forever. 
Like, literally, I was like, they told me about it because some of you are like, that's, dis- dude, that's disgusting. Like, that's unhealthy. It, it, we don't care if it's unhealthy. We don't care what you say about that. It's not disgusting. But the problem is I can try to explain it. Like, I'll tell you, it's so good. It makes it taste so much better, savory and sweet. It, it, oh, my goodness. It's like heaven on earth. I'm pretty sure the watermelon in heaven has sea salt, you know, grown into it. I can tell you all those things. But until you go home, go to the grocery store, cut up the watermelon, get the sea salt, dump it on there and try it you're just going to think i'm crazy you're going to go if you haven't tried you're going to go that that's the dumbest thing in the world you're going to completely ruin your your, your watermelon and here's what's going to happen for many of you you're going oh that's good let me tell you about other stuff like my sister-in-law she eats a banana with cheese on it i'm like okay but here's the thing until you experience those things i'll never be able to explain those things so what i want to do today is before we go and look at how you cannot be a victim. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord. Like I'm going to take you through a principle next week, and, and the principle is going to be many of you are making what someone did to you bigger than what Jesus did for you. And so we're going to talk about how that looks in your life to walk away and be more than a conqueror. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about Dealing with guilt and shame and seeing the difference. And then the last week of the series, we're going to talk about seeing your past in a different light. Looking again and seeing the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those that God has called according to his name. But I can't take you down that road at all until you, until you meet and experience the person of forgiveness. And here's the thing. I can't bring Jesus here today, so I'm going to bring Jesus out, the presence of Jesus, in a story that I think we see forgiveness in in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles or you're on version, and, and I failed to mention this in the beginning, but there's an app called version you can download on your phone that has the Bible, and then if you go to live events, it'll, it'll bring up this event right now that we're doing, and you can follow along. Some of you like the notes you don't want to write down. You can't write as fast as I talk. The notes will all be there. You can save them, email them to you, whatever you want. You're not going to offend me at all. I know the difference in the color. The version Bible app is black or white. It's not blue. So if it's blue, I know you're on Facebook at church, and you shouldn't do that. And so anyway, uh, but you can open that up. But we're going to go to John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse number 1. And I want you to check this story, and I think it's such a powerful story. The Bible says, uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Maybe none of this is for you. This whole sermon about forgiveness is not for you. That right there is your little sermon. If you're, if you're, if you're growing in Christ, you don't, you don't need to forgive people. You're already, you're already good with that. You're not struggling with it. Right there is your action point. The Bible says that Jesus, before it's even dawn, is up getting ready for the day by spending time with his father. Now, if Jesus knows it's important, he's God, he's fully God and fully man, he's perfect to spend time with his heavenly father before he spends time with people during the day, man, maybe that's all you take from this sermon. I need to start getting up early and make it a priority to spend time with God. Before the day gets to me, I'm going to get into the presence of God. So that's just another side sermon for you, a different, different day for you. Uh, maybe I should take up a second offering now that I told you that. But then the Bible says... In verse number three, uh, at dawn he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach him. So he's in church, y'all. Like we, we, we don't have a temple today. We, we have buildings. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't come here. This isn't a church. It's only a church now because the people have arrived here. So we are having church. But when we leave here, the church is leaving the building. But at that time, you went to the temple to talk about God. You went to the temple to be in the presence of God. So Jesus is in 
church 2,000 years ago. And listen to what the story says. This gets real scandalous. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, just so you know, that's like the, the churchiest people. Those are the people that are, that are running the church of that day. They are in. They are the, the smartest. The Pharisees followed all these rules they made up. The teachers of the law were experts that have been trained. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring in a woman caught in adultery. Now, if you read that really quick, you're going to miss the significance of this story. She has been caught in adultery. Somehow, some way, early in the morning, these guys, maybe in their prayer, in their study, I'm not sure, have come upon a woman that was having, you know what, I don't know if there's any kids in this room, they shouldn't be, they should be at Journey Kids, and so anyway, she's having you know what, right, we don't want sex, and so anyway, she's doing that, uh, and, and they catch her in the act, and I'm not, I don't think they're like, oh, we need to put some clothes on, we need to go find Jesus. They rip her out of bed, and you, could you just imagine, I'm opening up my sermon, I just told a great joke about baseball cards, man, it's getting in, all of a sudden, door flies open, we have a group of people that think we're unholy because our room's black, and we use lights, and everybody here is, is not maturing, and I'm not preaching good messages, and they've come to disprove me with, with a naked woman. Boom, they come in, bring her into the temple, throw her before the presence of Jesus, and here is this half-clothed, maybe naked woman standing before Jesus as he's trying to have church. He's about to sing Kumbaya, and here she, she comes. And the Bible says, they make her stand before the group, and they look at Jesus, because it's not about the lady at all. This is all about Jesus. Your, your forgiveness is not about, about you at all, it's about Jesus. The, the power to move past is not about anybody else. It's, it's, about, it's found in Jesus. They make it all about Jesus, trying to get Jesus, trying to capture Jesus, trying to, trying to trick Jesus. It's kind of stupid to try to trick Jesus. They say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Well, what should we do? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So there's a whole lot of, a whole other sermon going on here. They're, they're trying to get Jesus to, get, to, to make a mistake here. And so what they're saying is, you know, in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, if a woman or a man is caught in adultery, they should be stoned. But you also, on the other hand, you're preaching a message of grace and mercy and forgiveness, but you claim to be the son of God, and this is the word of God. So what are you going to do about the situation, Jesus? Because if you kill her, then it contradicts what you've been saying and if you don't kill her, then it contradicts who you said you're from. The truth is, the whole thing is about making Jesus look like a, look like a fool. And I think in this situation, uh, this story, we don't have much time to talk about that aspect of it. That could be a whole nother, nother sermon. But, but what I do want to talk to you about is I think in this story, we, we can see extreme differences of bitterness and, and forgiveness. Because, because the truth is, is, this is where it all begins. Many of you in this room... you're not looking for a sorry. What you're doing is your life is being choked out by a bitter root, the Bible says. You you don't need somebody to tell you they were wrong. You already know they were wrong, and actually it's not going to make the pain go away if they admit that they were wrong. You need forgiveness of your sins. But here's the thing. uh, The forgiveness that you need to give to them is not available to the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give to you is in your heart. So I want to talk to you about a few things uh, that I think you can see in this story, what I would call bitterness, uh, verse forgiveness, bitterness in your life, verse forgiveness in your life. I just have two points. Everybody say amen with me today. I usually have four, but I could only pick two out from this, this thing. And so, but number one is this, is I think we need to start with bitterness because that's where many of you are struggling, is bitterness happens when you and me, when we allow someone else to transfer their hurt to our hands. 
bitterness in you and me's life happens when somebody else transfers a hurt that they've experienced into our hands. In fact, I would call it the cycle of, of sin. It's, it's simply most of the things you struggle with in life were not things you decided that you wanted to have in your life. You think about life in, in general. You think about the hatred that's going on in our country right now, the, the, the bigotry, the, uh, the, 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 the disunity. It, it, it doesn't come as we're born. We're not born with that hatred. It's passed on to us. If you're in this place, hopefully we are passing on a, a gospel that says red and yellow, black and white. Everybody's precious in God's sight. Are, are you with me? And like, so, so like, I hope my kids, when they, by, the, by the time they get to 18, 19, they don't, they don't think anything like, like many people think in, in this country. But for the truth is many of us, the hatred we have in our life was given to us by somebody else. And now it affects us as if it's ours. The, the addiction that you're struggling with, the, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment that you're struggling with, I can pretty much guarantee you comes from an event that was done to you, but really what it was is it was a ritual of passing something to you that, that was hurting them. I can promise you, and this is really hard if you have somebody that has hurt you, but if you would look at their life and you would say, you know, I have a parent that never told me they love me. I, 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 have, I have a parent that abandoned me. I, I can pretty much guarantee you that they also had a parent that did that. I can pretty much guarantee you that there was also hurt, like hurting people. Come on, this is so elementary. They always hurt people. And what happens in many of us is we have allowed somebody's hurt to be transferred to our hands, and now we're carrying around somebody else's hurt. And here's the problem for many of us is we're going to sit here and say, I'm never going to do this to blank. I'm never going to be that type of, of parent. I'm never going to be that type of spouse. And the problem is, the Bible says a bitter root grows inside of us. And I don't know a lot about plants, but I know roots typically aren't seen. And what they do is they control the entire plant, though. They're, they send nutrients and they, 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 they control how big the plant grows. And so what happens is, is you're thinking, I'm not going to do this on the outside. I'm making promises to myself. I'm not going to act this way. I'm not going to be this way. But inside of you, there's a root that's controlling you. Somebody has passed their hurt into your hands. Think about the story. The whole thing is about bitterness. I mean, how do you get to the point where, where you are a religious person that is so enamored with, with wrecking the ministry of Jesus that you will, you will set up a scenario where you will find a woman, and just so you know, they set this up. They, they, they got one of their friends, because you'll notice in the story, there is no man. Did you notice that? That the man, they didn't rip the man out too. He's not standing in front of Jesus, and here's why. Because the man was in on it. Chances are the man was one of the religious leaders. He was like, ah, oh, I guess I'll take one for the team. We need somebody to sleep with this, this prostitute or whoever. He says, okay, I'll do it. And, he, and he, he's kind of there, and they bring this, this, this lady in front of Jesus. How do you get to the point where you're so filled with hatred, where you're so filled with resentment, where you're so filled with, with rage? It's, it's bitterness. Maybe no one ever told them they were good enough. Maybe no one, their father never told them they loved them. I'm not sure how they got to this point. We can read into it, but I know that they're struggling with resentment. And let's just talk about the girl. Isn't she just struggling with bitterness too? I mean, how do you get to the point where, where you give your body up to somebody that doesn't even love you? How do you get to the point, if you're, if you're a female, where, where you're cutting yourself and you feel, you feel worthless and you're not eating food because you, you're trying? It, it's, it's bitterness. There's been a hurt. There's been a word of pain. There's, 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 been a, there's been somebody who's abandoned you, somebody who didn't speak into your life, and now that hurt's been transferred into your hands, and it's causing a deep root of bitterness. And what happens is, is you're carrying somebody else's waste with you in life. I'll, I'll give you just a really applicable story. A few weeks ago, we were swimming at my parents' house, 
and I was over on the side of the pool getting their, their, their solar cover off. You roll it up, and, and as I'm rolling it up, I have taught my, my sons, and I'm not proud to say this, but I've taught all of my sons, it's okay uh, to pee outside if nobody's watching, and so, like, I just have, like, I, it's, it's like a rite of passage for men. Is anybody, any man, other man, you're like, I love to pee in the woods, I love to, like, I, I just do. Like, if I'm at my parents' house, they have an acre and a half of land, and there's nobody watching, I'd rather just go outside than go into the bathroom because it's easier for me. I even do it at my house in Phoenixville off the back of my deck because it's on the second story, and I just think it's cool. And so, anyway, and, and some of you are going, oh, that's so gross. The girls are in this place. No, you're just jealous because you have to go to the bathroom. And so, like, for, for men, all the men in this place, and if you're a husband and you're going, I don't do that, your husband's just lying to you. We need to talk about that. Uh, but so I've taught all my kids, it's okay to go, go to the bathroom outside and so all of my kids have done it my, my first son Carter we were one time we were at an organic strawberry patch a couple miles down the road uh, he just dropped trial right there and peed all over the strawberries I was like it's, it's fine they're organic and so uh, Lincoln a few years ago he peed at the playground in Phoenixville we came down the slide had to go just pulled his pants and played all over the, the playground mulch I was kind of terrified about that uh, and so Harrison now they go to the bathroom in the bathroom most of the time now but Harrison I, I've taught him you, you can you can you can go it's you're just a little kid I don't want you to pee your pants so we're at mom and dad's house uh, and he's standing off the deck, and I'm standing, rolling the, the, the solar cover up, and all of a sudden, he, he, I feel this warm stream <laughs> of refreshing water on my back. It's, I'm like, oh, that feels bad, but it feels right. It feels good. And then I turn, and he's peeing off the deck. Now, to his credit, he's peeing away from me, but the wind is blowing it back <laughs> into my back. And what happened is his waist was now all over me. Like his, 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 What he needed to get rid of in his life Instead of getting rid of it in a spot where he could flush it and get rid of it, he got rid of it on my back. And that's essentially what happens in bitterness. Instead of us going to the place that, where we can get rid of our pain and our sorrow and our bitterness and resentment, we just hand it to somebody else. And some of you are just carrying it around right now. You're carrying around the sins of your father. You're carrying around the sins of your mother. You're carrying around, and you think to yourself, if they would just tell me sorry. Listen, there's not enough sorries in the world to take away that pain. It's the devil's ultimate trap for you. He's not creative at all. He didn't make you. He didn't mold you. He creates nothing, but he ruins everything. And the, ultimately what he wants to do is he wants to ruin your outlook on life. He wants you to become a victim of other people. He wants you to hide out in condemnation and shame, believing you are something wrong. He wants you to look at your past and be consumed with it and think, had I not gone through that, had I not experienced that, I would be so much better off while the whole time Jesus is saying, no, 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 I can work all things out for the good if you allow me to call you by name. No, 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 you are not, you are not full of shame. You might be guilty of sin, but guilt says, come to me. Shame says, run from me. And you are certainly not a victim of your past. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror, but bitterness, it begins to weed all of those righteous thoughts out in your life. And this is where it begins. And for many of you, this is where you're, you're stuck. So I want to show you how Jesus responds in number, number two. The Bible says, that, or number two, point number two, forgiveness then, I think, happens when, when Jesus takes our hurts into his hands. If, if, if bitterness happens when, we, when somebody else gives us their hurts, their waste, then, then, then forgiveness happens in our lives when, when Jesus is able, because that's who he wants to be in your life, to take your hurts and my hurts into his hands. Listen to how this story ends. It's, it's, so, it's so beautiful. So Jesus is there with, with the woman. They want to they stone her. If they don't stone her, they want to discredit Jesus. They want to call him antichrist or a liar. 
Jesus because he's very confident in who he is. He's the son of God. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you're really confident in your beliefs, you never have to be loud. That's why I would always discredit you from making the loudest platform you have social media, especially when it comes to your belief in Christ. We don't, we don't need to be loud. Our lives will be loud. So Jesus, because he's fully confident in who he is and he is not threatened by these religious leaders, the Bible says he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. He scoops down on the, on the ground. The Bible says Jesus bends down in verse number 6. He starts to write on the ground. This is a peculiar thing because nobody knows what he wrote. So we're going to dive into this story a little bit. We're going to maybe pull, pull some, some things out of it. I'm not sure exactly what he wrote. We can ask him someday. The Bible says he begins to write. When they kept on questioning him, he straightens up and says, says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So, so here's what's happening, I think. This lady is in sin. She, she has messed up. I, I don't want you to not hear me. Like, you, you and me, we're sinners. The Bible says that we, we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. She is 100% wrong. She 100% deserves death. Like, we, we, don't, we do a really good job of belittling death but the problem is our, our sin but the problem is when you belittle sin you belittle the, the, the cross of Christ when you, when you make light of lying and gossip and slander and, and greed and, and adultery and sex before marriage and drunkenness when you make light of those things you're also spitting on the cross of Christ because it took everything of him to, to, to pay the price for everything you've done so he gets down and he begins to write and I think I think He's not writing, she's fine. He's not writing, leave me alone. I think he begins to write out her sin. You guys are right. It's dirt. He starts to write out adulterer. He starts to write out fornicator. I don't know what else this woman has done, but I'm sure her list is long. Maybe she's an alcoholic. Maybe she's a gossiper. Maybe she's greedy. I, I don't know what her sins are, her list of sins. I, I, I want you to see clearly, listen, you are who, who you are right now. You, you don't get away from it. You've earned the spot. You, you haven't decided what's been done to you, but you have decided how you've responded to it. And me and you, we're, we're full of sin. And Jesus is not saying to her, you're not a sinner. It's not a big deal. He's writing them out. And the Bible says they keep asking, and they keep asking, and they keep asking. So he stands up, and he throws them, throws them this line. Hey, these are her sins, but, but any one of you without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And the Bible says, if you keep reading, I love this part. The Bible says, again, he stood down, he writes on the ground. At this, those who began, to, began heard, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. I think Jesus, number two, was he just begins to write their sins out. Like he has his whole ground covered with people's sins. Oh, yeah, you over there, John, you, you looked at pornography last night. You over here, you're, you're, you're super greedy. You don't ever give anything away. You, you right here, your breath smells like you. That's not a sin, but it's wrong, right? Some of you breath, it smells like a sin, right? So, so he begins to just write the, this thing. And the Bible says one by one they walk away. And you'll notice it's the older ones first. And I think there's something you can pick up from there. The longer you hold on to sin the harder it is to, to, to receive forgiveness. I think they just, I'm not mad, I'm not a sinner, and they walk away. I, I used to think it was the wise ones that are like, okay, you better not talk to Jesus, but I think it's the opposite. 
Because I think Jesus was about to offer all of them forgiveness. Listen, this whole thing is jacked up. This whole situation is jacked up, right? When we look at our world, we're not going, well, here's the good guys and here's the bad guys. You know what we're doing as a church? We're going, the whole thing's jacked. The answer for everything that's going on is Jesus. And Jesus is offering them forgiveness. He's offering them a new life. He's offering them hope. And the Bible says one by one, these men, they walk away. Why? Because they're not mad. I don't need forgiveness. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I mean, I was bitter enough to try to set this whole situation up. I'm bitter enough to try to disprove Jesus. But I don't have a problem. Some of you are here right now and you're going, I don't, I'm not really, really bitter. I'm not really angry. Listen, when's the last time you've been in the room with that person and you actually thought good thoughts about them? You didn't have a flashback of the Psycho movie, right? I'm not mad. I don't got problems. Some of you, you won't even go to things because that person's going to be there. You won't even make, I, I, I don't, I'm not angry. Some of you, you're going, I'm not angry. I, I, I just like to be promiscuous. I'm not bitter. I, I, I just like to go into relationships that are going to hurt me. I'm not blank. Listen, the problem is you're still struggling. And Jesus is here and he's very, he's very upfront with her. Listen, you're a sinner and, and you're a sinner. You're messed up. We are all messed up. But Jesus is about to offer them forgiveness. And the Bible says one by one, they walk away. They, they, they walk away. The answer is, is Jesus, but they... They don't want it. And then I love the end of this story. The Bible says that and then Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where's all your accusers? Where, 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 where is everybody? Has no one condemned you? That's what happens in the presence of Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. See, the problem is uh, the, the pain that, that these men were trying to cause her was, was actually the setup for the redemption and forgiveness of her sins through Jesus Christ. And some of you, the pain that you've been dealing with, the hurt that you've been dealing with has actually been the setup that God has brought into your life to lead you right to this moment. And the Bible says Jesus stands up and looks at the woman and says, where's everybody at? And through trembling, she says, I guess they all left. No, no, one's, no one's here, sir. And then Jesus looks at her, and this is the gospel right here. And he says to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go, I have a better life for you. Go, I have more for you. Go, I'm not calling you out to make you feel bad. I'm calling you out because I have a better plan for your life. I'm not calling you out to embarrass you. I'm calling you out, and I'm bringing you in here to embrace you so that your future can be changed forever. Do you see what happens? Jesus shakes the dust. He gets down and he writes in the dirt. What he's saying is, there's nothing too dirty that I won't touch. There's nothing too dirty that I'm too embarrassed of. There's nothing too dirty in your life that I don't already know about. Like Jesus is calling everybody out. Some of you in this place, Jesus is calling you out right now. But he's not calling you out at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick to embarrass you. He's calling you out because he has so much more for you. And the Bible says that he gets up. And I can just see him. He's dirty now. There's a message there that Jesus has embraced the dirtiness of her life. But, but I think if I have kids, and I know what kids are like, when they get down to the dirt, what is their first reaction to do? Jesus shakes the dust of who she is. That's who you were, but you're going to go and be somebody different. We don't know what happened to this lady. We don't know the rest of her story, but, but if I could only imagine for a moment, I cannot even 
begin to fathom how you could come face to face with Jesus and be at life and death with Jesus and have Jesus stand before your accusers, which is what he does for you and me. The Bible says that Satan is your accuser and he accuses you both day and night. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that no longer are his accusations valid. Jesus is now standing between you and God. And he, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and all that he has done for you. He says, I have finished the work of your forgiveness on the cross 2,000 years ago. And it's through me, it's by my stripes that you can be healed. And he shakes the dust. And the truth is when he forgives your sins, he, he forgets them forever. He gets rid of them forever. The Bible says he forgives you as far as the east is from the west. Listen, we cannot even go any one step forward in this life. We cannot step into not being a victim. We cannot step into not walking in shame. And we certainly cannot step into looking at your past with a different perspective. Until you meet the person of forgiveness. That's what the message of the gospel, the Bible, is all about. I'm not sure what you've heard about church. I'm not sure what you've experienced. I'm not sure what you've heard about the people who go to church. But the Bible, the Bible, I believe, the, 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 the Savior that I have confessed my sins to, the message of him is forgiveness of sins, is hope for my future, is grace when I mess up, is never leaving me and never forsaking me. And I can't explain it to you today, but I can allow you the chance to experience it. Would you stand up with me all over these houses? Would you bow your heads? And would you close your eyes? The Bible says the way to experience a relationship with God is through confession with your mouth and belief in your heart. You confess with your mouth that I need a forgiver. Listen, listen, you are caught. You're not better than you think you are. You're not better than the game you're playing. God knows exactly who you are. One of the worst things in the world is pretending. Here's the thing about it, though. He knows you at your worst, and he loves you deeply and desperately. And he has a good plan for your life. But that plan does not start with becoming a better person. That plan begins with becoming a found person. The Bible says you were dead, but you have a chance to be alive. You were lost, but right now you have a chance to be found. You were blind, but I'm praying right now that you would see. Satan has tried to blind your eyes to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. But my prayer is that he would give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a humble heart to respond. That you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, that's my struggle. I struggle with bitterness. I struggle with resentment. I struggle with anger. I've read books. I've done self-help things. I've, I've tried everything. I've had conversations with people. I've tried to get over it, yet it still plagues me. And here's why. Because the answer is not found in a sorry. The answer is found in a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the forgiver. And I can't explain it to you well enough today. I could talk about him all day long. And my words would never do him justice. But I can offer you the chance to experience it. And the way you experience a relationship with God is you invite him into your life right now. And so maybe you're in this place. I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I want to pray with you as we close. Maybe you don't know how to pray at all. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I just want you to repeat after me. And here's what you need to understand about prayer. It's not about the, the etiquette of your words. It's about the posture of your heart. God is not impressed by the words of man. But God is drawn to a humble and a contrite spirit. If you're in this place and you say, man, I am broken. I don't think I'm, I think I'm beyond repair at this point. I'm hurt. I'm angry, I'm bitter, and I'm resentful, and I have not nowhere to turn. But today, I'm going to turn my attention and my affection 
to Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins in my place 2,000 years ago. And the Bible says that he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he not only defeated death, but he defeated hell. And now we have a purpose for living. We have a promise of eternity. But that, that promise of eternity and that purpose of living starts with a confession and a belief. With the step of faith, if that's you in this place and you say, you know what, that's my struggle. I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with resentment. I haven't been able to move past it. I'm dealing with things that I don't know how to stop. And I believe that I need to take a step towards Jesus. He's going to be the Lord and Savior of my life. That is the response that I'm making to the sermon that's been preached today. If that's you in this house, I'm going to ask you to do something real bold at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick with nobody looking around in this moment. And you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to pray with you as we close. But I want to know I'm praying with you. Would you just shoot your hand up in the air if that's you in this moment and say today I see a hand right here is there anybody else who would say pastor uh, that's me today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life is there anybody else who says that's my response I can't be bitter anymore I can't carry this pain anymore I can't carry this resentment anymore is there anybody at our Plymouth meeting in Limerick Cave who say that's my step that's why I'm here uh, right now I'm not going to drop my rock and walk away today no, no, Jesus is calling me, and today I'm going to walk towards him. I'm going to receive the same forgiveness of my sins that he offered to the man and the woman in that situation. Is there anybody else here with me that would say, Pastor, I need to make that step. I'm, I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm not, I'm not leaving this place struggling with that. I'm giving it to Jesus right now. I see another hand. Yes, right here. Is there anybody else who says, Pastor, that's me, that's me, that's me. All over our campuses, even if you know Jesus, I want you to repeat after me just to encourage those who are praying. We're just going to pray a very simple prayer. I'll say, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you for your word that it is not returning void. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Jesus, today is a day that changes everything. I'm never going to be the same again. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody here on other campuses, you said amen with me. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for what he's done in this place.